welcome to City Break Ideas, episode three, in which I'm going to offer you a smorgasbord of ideas, five ideas in fact, four places that in most cases other people have recommended as being a lovely place to visit if you fancy a city break. But before we get on to that, just a little bit of news and one or two messages from listeners. We've actually got some quite exciting news this week. You may have listened to last week's episode, which was a virtual visit to St Petersburg. If so, I hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, while I was working on that, I thought, hmm, St Petersburg. How many people who are actually visiting St Petersburg know about the podcast series? I feared the answer might be not many. So I noticed on Twitter an organisation called Visit St Petersburg and I wrote to them. Imagine my excitement when I got an email back from Russia. From Irina Zubakina. I do hope I'm pronouncing that well, no less, from the main tourist office in St Petersburg, and this is what she wrote in her lovely, just ever so slightly Russian, English. Dear City Breaks team, we want to thank you for a great input you do under making such a wonderful series of episodes about St Petersburg. Please know now the information about City Breaks podcast channel is published on official city tourism webpage, Visit Petersburg. So there you go. People visiting St Petersburg will be able to find the podcasts as they're looking on the tourist website for what to do when they get there. I did enjoy reading the message. I love the way that in Russian they leave out the articles. So it's not the official city tourism webpage, it's just official city tourism webpage. Anyway, I was delighted to hear from Irina and I'm hoping perhaps to get contact from more Russians. If you're interested in their website, by the way, it's www.visit-petersburg.com dot ru and if you put forward slash en on the end of that you get the english version which is a good thing i think for most people and actually if you get that far and then on the home page if you choose the section marked interesting you'll get straight through to their advert for city breaks which they kindly say nice things such as each podcast covers all the essential information you need to know for making your visit unforgettable so there we are but that's not the only post i've had this week because I also got a nice message from Alex Watson on Twitter, who kindly wrote, Hello, thanks for making the podcasts. I found the one on Seville after searching for a podcast on Seville, which is my favourite city and which I visit every year. I've also listened to some of Florence, and so far I'm enjoying it very much. Well, that's kind, isn't it? And later on in the episode, we'll have one of Alex's City Break ideas. And in fact, another of the City Break ideas to come stems from somebody else I met on Twitter. Leanne Adderley, who writes, I've just been listening to your podcast on Schwangau and Munich. I used to live there. Actually, that was it, the message. No mention of whether she enjoyed it or not. And I guess if she writes in, hopefully she did. And she certainly knows what she's talking about, because not only did she used to live in or near Munich, she's also a German teacher. And they usually know what they're talking about, do they not? I did enjoy getting both those messages, and uh, so if you do feel prompted to write in, and say what you think of anything you've been listening to, that would be lovely. Next up, I wanted to give a brief mention to something else I found on Twitter, which was a survey by The Lonely Planet on the world's greenest cities. I found it interesting to read which their top ten were, and also to see some of the things for which these cities were mentioned. Food for thought when you're out and about in cities generally, and maybe an idea for somewhere that you'd like to visit. So the very top of the list was Vienna, and one of the reasons that it was given that lofty rating was because 50% of Vienna's home population buy an annual travel pass, 
which I guess means they don't drive about in their cars as much. Second up was Munich, said to be a very walkable city with great public transport and good air quality, those things presumably linked. And third was Berlin. Interesting that the top three cities are all German-speaking. And Berlin was mentioned because of the sheer number of open spaces and parks it has, and also because of its very low use of water per capita. Away from the German-speaking world, but still in Europe, next up was Madrid, deemed to be very pedestrian-friendly, and at number five, the first non-European city, which surprised me a little bit, was Sao Paulo, given praise because of its very high use of renewable energy. Number six was also somewhere a little unexpected to me, and that was our very own Manchester, said to be, quote, a pedestrian gem with lots of farmers' markets. Lisbon at number seven, lots of green spaces, great farmers' markets, and an ambitious recycling programme. Number eight, the second non-European city, Singapore, given a special mention because apparently it has designed therapeutic gardens, especially for the elderly. Number nine, Amsterdam, mainly because of all the different ways there are to get about the city without using up any petrol, on foot, by bike, by boat. And place number 10, Washington DC, because of its great number of public plazas and parks. And they like the fact that the wharf, which has been newly redesigned there, includes not just offices and shops, but also a marina, some parks and public spaces. Just below the survey, there were comments that people had written in And my favourite one was the top one where John Dunn wrote in and said, actually, you've forgotten somewhere that really ought to be on the list. And came up with somewhere I think most of us would never have thought of, and that was Ljubljana, the capital of Slovenia, which he says has, quote, a clean, leafy riverside pedestrian-only centre, parks and green spaces galore, and the most efficient recycling schemes I've seen anywhere. So, store that idea away. City Breaks Ljubljana, anyone? Maybe in the future, but not today because I've got five City Break ideas in total, most of which have come in from listeners. So, firstly, Alex Watson, mentioned a little earlier, who wrote in and said, quote, I seem to be drawn to learning more about places I've already visited. I'd happily listen to more on Andalusian cities. Yes, actually, so would I. Granada, Cordoba. Got to do those at some point. But he continued, maybe Lyon, Nice, Avignon, Salamanca, Toledo, more of Italy, perhaps the Peloponnese. Cheers. Cheers, I thought, Alex, that really is quite a list. Where to start? Thought, in the end, perhaps I'd just pick the first city he mentioned, which was Lyon. I've long been interested in Lyon because I nearly went there once. It was very frustrating. My husband was going on a work project, two or three days, And joy of joy, it was going to be during the school holidays when, as a teacher, I'd be able to get away and go too. But, of course, as these things turn out, the project took longer than he'd hoped, the visit was postponed, and he ended up going after the new term had started. And I missed it. To make it worse, he came back and said how lovely it was and how we must go there sometime. This was at least a decade ago, and we haven't been yet. But thank you, Alex, you've reminded me to put it back on my list. So I've been doing some research to find out what I missed. Quite a lot, as it turned out. There is, for example, a very lovely-sounding Roman amphitheatre, or the ruins thereof, which I do rather fancy visiting. And the old town is one of those that's full of picturesque alleys dating from medieval times. So many of those, in fact, and so 
specific are they to Lyon, that they have their own very special Lyon name, which is Traboule. Nice to wander through. Little courtyards, vaulted passages, all very pretty. Not to mention the squares with the fountains. All of this adding up to the fact that the old town in Lyon is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is surprising when you remember that it's also France's third largest city. And when I was looking at reasons to go there, the main one really seemed to be food and drink. It's some kind of food capital, home of the very famous chef Paul Bocuse, who had a restaurant there for decades. I think the restaurant is still there, actually. And typical Lyon fare, very meaty. Pork, andouillette, which is sort of pig intestine sausages, coq au vin. And I noticed with some amusement that in salade lyonnaise, so a typical Lyon salad, does have some lettuce in it, but it also includes bacon and a poached egg. So that gives you some idea. As well as having their own name for the medieval streets, they've got their own name for the little restaurants that you find all over the old city in Lyon. And that is Bouchon. A Bouchon is billed as a traditional bistro serving local cuisine. So definitely something to look out for. And the wine, of course, lots of wine. Beaujolais comes from not far away, as indeed does Côte du Rhône. Lyon, of course, being on the River Rhône. If you're going to do more than eat and drink, there are various things to catch your attention. A fine arts museum with some Monet and some Matisse and some Rodin in it, if you want to look at French art, but also artworks from further afield, Rembrandt, Rubens. A couple of interesting sounding museums. One is called the Confluence Museum, as in Confluence. I think Confluence is rather a good name for a museum where ideas meet. But actually this one is even more deserving of the name because it's built on the confluence of the two rivers which flow through Lyon, the Rhône and the the one I can't pronounce, even though I'm a French teacher. S-A-O-N-E. Do let me know if you know how to say that. Anyway, it's a museum of science and anthropology. And the other one which caught my attention is a museum called the Musée Lumière. Lumière, of course, means light. But it was also the surname of Louis and Auguste Lumière, the Lumière brothers, if you will, who came from Lyon and who are the fathers of modern cinema. And it was here in Lyon that they shot their very first film in 1895. So here it is in Lyon where a museum has been set up full of projections of their films and lots of other stuff about cinema and photography. So there we have it then, this week's first idea, Lyon. Leanne Adderley's suggestion was also rather a long list. This is what she wrote. As someone who used to live in Germany, Regensburg, Rotenburg ob der Tauber, Augsburg and Nuremberg are all brilliant cities in Germany. Then there's Vienna and Salzburg in Austria. Well, yes, again, quite a list. Where to start? How about with the first one, Regensburg? I must confess I didn't know anything about Regensburg and as soon as I started finding out about it, I thought, one, you really should know all this. I should, that is, in my capacity as German teacher. Although, whisper it, I learnt most of my German in Austria. And two, how lovely it sounds. Yes, I really would like to go there. I discovered that it's known sometimes as Italy's northernmost city. I think I may have said when I did the Munich series that Munich is very much a southern German city, feels a little Italian in flavour. And so I can relate to that. And Regensburg, in fact, is only just over a 100 kilometres from Munich. Also a World Heritage Site, billed as one of the best preserved medieval cities in Europe. 
I went on to a website called thecrazytourist.com and here's what they had to say about Regensburg. Quote, Anyone charmed by medieval history will be in dreamland in the UNESCO city of Regensburg, where 1,500 listed monuments have stood the test of centuries. In the days of the Holy Roman Empire, Regensburg hosted the Imperial Diet, I think that was the Parliament, and you can stand in the very place where some of Europe's most powerful men would assemble. So, one or two ideas about what to see in Regensburg. There's a cathedral and a basilica, so two massive churches, some monasteries, a 12th century stone bridge, and what seems to be particularly specific to the city is lots of tall towers from medieval times. Noble families in those days liked to show off their wealth and show how important they were by having a tall tower built. And of course, no sooner had they done so than one of the neighbours would think, hmm, a tall tower. I think ours could be slightly taller. You may recognise this idea. It pertained to Florence. And the result here in Regensburg is, quote, the fact that centuries later, the cityscape is still a forest of towers. Normally that might put you off, unless very modern towers are your thing. But here, of course, they're not modern at all. An example would be one called the Goliath House, described as a medieval patrician house, so built by someone with some spare cash, and dating from 1260. And of all the towers there, one you may particularly remember, if you see it, because it's got a massive mural painted on the side of David and Goliath. That dates from the 16th century, and so the Goliath House has been a Regensburg landmark ever since. It's not, however, the tallest tower, because that is the Goldener Turm, the Golden Tower, which also dates from 1260, and is 50 metres high. Amazing. And even more amazing, it is used these days as student accommodation. How classy. And then, if you fancy a day out from Regensburg, I would suggest you go to Valhalla. Yes, you heard that right. You're probably thinking, I thought that was something to do with Scandinavian legends. Yes, you'd be right. But actually, in the 1830s, Ludwig I, King of Bavaria, decided that he would have his own version of Valhalla built on German soil. And so it was done. A massive building, modelled on the Greek Parthenon and set high above the Danube. A sort of mythical hall of fame, with tablets and busts inside to Germans from ancient times right up to the Middle Ages that Ludwig I thought ought to be memorialised. No fewer than 130 busts in there, 65 memorial tablets. And actually in the 20th century, they did start adding a few more. So you can find Brahms and Einstein and one to Sophie Scholl. If you've listened to the Munich series, you'll know the story of the student from Munich, Sophie Scholl, who very bravely organised a student uprising against Hitler, distributing leaflets in places like Munich University until she was caught, tried and executed at the age of only 21. So, Valhalla... Unless you be thinking that Regensburg sounds only serious and cultural, let me finish with a quote from the Crazy Tourist website, which says that, quote, Regensburg balances its weighty culture with the highest concentration of bars of any German city and an easy-going, almost Mediterranean ambience on its squares. So there you are, something for everyone. I've taken the third city break idea for this week from something I read in The Independent. A virtual tour of Edinburgh, no less. 
and since of course virtual tours are the only sort that are possible just at the moment, I decided to give it a go. So I checked out some of the things they recommended and passed the ideas on to you. Edinburgh, as you may know, is known as the Windy City and the independent journalist was trying quite politely to say that a virtual tour might be a good idea on one of those days when Edinburgh's weather is, you know, not what you'd like it to be, really. The weather in that city, he wrote, has, quote, a certain independence of mind. But fear not, because you can go on a virtual tour of Edinburgh Castle. Just go on to artsandculture.google.com and you'll find an interactive tour where you can climb up to the rock just outside the castle, look down on the city. You can go inside, go round the Great Hall, built for James the Fourth, so that he could hold his banquets there. You can visit St Margaret's Chapel, which is Edinburgh's oldest building. You can pan round, go into close-up, really get quite a sense of what the castle is like. If it's more modern-day royalty that you're interested in, you can also find on YouTube a tour of the Royal Yacht, used for over 40 years by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth and family, until it was finally decommissioned in 1997 it's still there in Edinburgh to look round. If your memory dates back to 1997, you may recall footage on the news of the Queen shedding a tear as the yacht was taken out of service for the very last time. But if you go on the YouTube tour, you can snoop around inside and see how the royal family lived on the yacht when they were holidaying there, or indeed touring round Britain on it. A third virtual tour you can do will take you up Arthur's Seat, so up into the countryside outside the city for glorious views of it and of the surroundings. And if bridges are your thing, you'll be pleased to know that on transport-scotland.panamax there's a live webcam of the fourth bridge, called by many the greatest railway bridge ever built. And there it is, just sitting there waiting for you to check in at any time of day or presumably night and admire it. As soon as I got to thinking about Edinburgh, I began to think, yes, definitely, that is a City Breaks venue for sure, so look out for that in the next year or two. The fourth idea comes from another listener, the travelling writer, who has a blog by that name and can be found on Twitter using at travellingwrite, that's right, W-R-I-T-E, where you can read about his travels and where he's just beginning to get into podcasting. One of his introductory podcasts is on the city of Bilbao, for example, or more specifically on the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao. Anyway, he wrote in with a suggestion, and here it is. Quote, I'd like to name Copenhagen. It has a lot of great castles, served as inspiration for Hamlet, as well as the Little Mermaid, and loads of other interesting things to see. I believe the aquarium has the only hammerhead sharks in captivity, and I got to feed them the last time I was there. Now that sounds like a nice idea. Again, four city breaks. We haven't had a Scandinavian city yet. That's quite an omission. And when I went a-googling, I kept finding references to the fairy tale city and to the fact that it's got so many canals and cycleways and even may, by some people, be said to be, quote, the happiest city in the world. Unfortunately, the other thing I read about it was that it can be expensive. Its reputation is such that on those Google questions that you get, somebody had actually said, is it the most expensive city ever? And the reply that someone had left read like this, quote, just got back from Copenhagen and had a wonderful time. Amazing city. Beautiful, lively, filled with great museums. However, it is the, capital letters, most expensive 
bold type, city I have ever been to, including New York City and Paris. $10 for coffee, $25 for a sandwich and water at a local pub. So be warned, I think Airbnb or self-catering of some description may be the way to go. But what is there to see? A most fantastic design museum. We all know that the Scandinavians are very good at design. so That's got to be worth seeing. The lovely sounding Rosenborg Castle, dating from 1606, built as the Royal Summer House. And a most enticing idea, something called Copen Hot, so C-O-P-E-N, capital H-O-T, all one word, which is an alfresco spa where you can rent a hot tub or take a sauna, all in mineral-rich salt water. Sounds relaxing, doesn't it? And then perhaps the best-known thing in Copenhagen, by which perhaps I mean the one thing I'd actually heard of, the Tivoli Gardens, 19th century amusement park, visited by two people who really knew what they were talking about when it came to lovely fairy tale settings, and that would be Hans Christian Andersen and Walt Disney. And a visitor comment I read on, I think it was TripAdvisor, described it at night as being, quote, thousands of twinkling lights making it seem like something from a fairy tale. So yes, that fairy tale idea does seem to run right through Copenhagen. Okay, I'm going to put that on the list. And then fifthly, another suggestion from one of my followers on Twitter, this one from Vacation in Paris, or VIP for short. They've got a website, vacationinparis.com, and really they specialise in renting out apartments for people to stay in. Knowing that they would be Paris experts, I decided to ask them for an idea. Perhaps lots of listeners have been to Paris already, but it is the sort of city, isn't it, that you keep wanting to go back to. So it's nice to have a new idea of what to do when you get there. And what they came up with was phrased in the words, quote, I'd say eat a crepe a day to keep the doctor away. Medically, I don't know how that works, but enjoyment wise, yes, certainly. And they helpfully suggested that of all the places in the city, the area where you're most likely to find lots of lovely creperie would be Montparnasse. They also suggested that I could have a look at an article called Where to Try the Ten Best Crepe in Paris, which is part of the culturetrip.com website. So, of course, I went and had a look. And two which leapt out at me as ideas I like the sound of were the Creperie Porte Manèche, which is in Montparnasse, at 52 Rue du Montparnasse, in fact, where the thing I picked off the menu as what I'd order now if I were sitting there, oh, if only, would be a Rochefortaise pancake, billed as being made with organic egg, Emmental cheese, ham, onion and mushroom topped with cream and a sprinkle of parsley and tomatoes. Yes, please. And the other one that caught my attention was a place called Mardi, M-A-R-D-I, which is French for Tuesday, as you may know. I don't know why it's called that, but it's a creperie which dates from 2016. It is a restaurant, but it also does a lot of takeaway, savoury and sweet, a choice of 50 high-quality toppings, so you can design your own. This is to be found at 137 Rue Montmartre. So there you go. Thank you, VIP. I went onto their website to have a look, and I noticed, in fact, they have a blog as one section of their website, which gives you lots of little interesting bits and pieces about Paris. So I had a snoop and picked out one to share with you, which was an entry about lesser-known places in Paris, which are nice for a picnic. So it opened by saying, well, yes, Everybody knows that you have a lovely picnic in the Jardin du Luxembourg 
or along the banks of the Seine? What are the places that perhaps that won't be quite so crowded, which will feel very Parisian? And to pick three of their ideas, they suggested the Parc Montsouris, which is in the 14th district. Montsouris literally means Mouse Mountain. I don't know why it's called that. Anyway, we are helpfully told that if you get the RER to Cité Universitaire, you will be at Parc Montsouris, and what you'll find there is, quote, a lovely park with a lake graced by ducks and swans. Another idea they give is to go to the Parc des Buttes Chaumont, which is in the 19th district. Got its own metro stop on Line 7, so quite easy to find. Butte Chaumont used to be a quarry, but now it's a lovely hilly setting with a man-made lake, waterfalls and a grotto. And the third idea is one that actually I keep meaning to try out, but every time I've been to Paris recently, something or other, the weather, some pressing engagement, forgetting, that sort of thing, has got in the way and I haven't done it yet. But I absolutely intend to do it ASAP. And that is something called the promenade plantée, literally planted promenade, which is described in the VIP blog as, quote, the original High Line, a converted railway which is now a pedestrian walkway lined with beautiful flowering trees and planters. Not so much green space, but plenty of benches, charming shops underneath and nice neighbourhood views as you walk along. And again, very helpfully, the blog tells us how to get there. It's in the 12th district and you need to get line 1, 8 or 5 to Bastille. So there we are, the last of this week's five ideas. Which one takes your fancy? Is it Lyon or Regensburg? Is it Edinburgh or Copenhagen? Or is it perhaps the ever-popular Paris? Leading to the question, do you have to choose? To which the answer, of course, is thankfully, no you don't. Time and funds permitting, a little bit of planning, you could go to any or all of them. OK, so that rounds things off for this week. Except that, of course, I'd like to finish by reminding you that it would be really lovely to hear from people ideas, things that I can put in the next City Breaks Ideas episode. Next week we're going virtual again, virtual visit to Toulouse, and the week after that, City Break Ideas, for which I would very much welcome your ideas, your thoughts on somewhere you've been, or somewhere you'd really like to go, and a little bit of an idea as to why. Describe the atmosphere a little bit, or mention something particular that you definitely don't want to miss when you get there. If we add a few of those together, then we have another hopefully useful and interesting City Breaks Ideas episode, which will give you some inspiration, some things to think about, prompt perhaps, to get booking. So, just to remind you then, there are three different ways to get in touch. You can leave a comment on the blog. That's at www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk. Click blog on the homepage. And you'll find at the moment the top entry says City Break Ideas. And if you click on that, there's a space for you to comment and put yours in. Or perhaps you prefer to email directly. That's easily done. Citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk That's a good moment to think about attaching a photo, perhaps, which I'd love to put on the website, along with your recommendation. Or if you prefer, you can contact us via Twitter using the handle at City Breaks Cast, C-A-S-T. So, look forward to hearing from you. It's been a surprise to me already how many of the cities that people have suggested are ones that I hadn't thought of. And that's great, of course, 
because many heads are always better than one. Okay, so I'm going to sign off in French this week since we've featured two French cities, Paris and Lyon, on the City Break Ideas. Thank you very much for listening. Merci pour l'écoute. Wish you luck for the coming week. Bonne chance pour la semaine à venir. And wish you goodbye in that lovely French way, which isn't goodbye forever, but just goodbye until next time. Au revoir.